We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna My understanding, inside this Bills building, it was never really about that. First of all, they kept an open mind about Tyrod Taylor. Second of all, they knew they weren't going to pick up the option, but there were some people, key people in the building, who wanted him to return. And then they hired Sean McDermott, and then he hired Rick Dennison. Both of those coaches very much wanted Tyrod Taylor to be in the fold. That's what they decided. That was their goal. It was never over with him and the Bills. It was just a matter of working out the contract. And in the end, they shave off a couple years of the deal. They create more cap space. It's a basically a two-year, $30 million deal, which it kind of was anyway. So now Tyrod Taylor is the starting quarterback for the Bills. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. This is my producer, Chris Krueger. And with us tonight, we have a very special guest. Ed, I'll be down there. And I'm going to look good. It's because North Collins was, you know, barely a school. Damn. That dude's a good. <laughs> Nate Geary, everybody. Nate, how are you doing tonight? North Collins is definitely barely a school, for sure. <laughs> um, that's like the best. <laughs> that I was is dig- the best sound bite I think anyone's gotten of me yet. So. I was digging through the radio archives <laughs> for some stuff to throw in about Nate Geary, and I all of a sudden I hear him talking some trash about my old high school, and I couldn't help uh, myself. <laughs> Well, as you, I don't know if you, well, I'm sure you know, because you people from North Collins, you know everyone that lives there. Ryan Gates from, from GR is from there as well. So usually I like to, uh, to put my, uh, you know, get my, get my burns in early, early and often, but, uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, you, you North Collins people stick together. Oh no, I know Ryan Gates. He actually used to, he was really tight with my little brother, Troy, which is funny, okay. but, but you know what happens when you live in a town where your graduating class is 62 kids. That's what happens. Your friend, your your brothers are tight with everybody else's brothers who know everybody and the mayor. That's that's what small town living is. So Nate, we have a tradition. That is here. exactly what small town living is. We have a tradition here on the Rock Pal Report for for everyone out there who you know maybe from out of town may not know you. We like to do a little bit of a bio, a little meet and greet for all of our first time okay. guests. So first and foremost, Nate Geary. First off, WGR radio personality. 
You do work with CoverOne.net. I mean, wh- wh- I do. What else do you do? Like, what, what do you? What, what all do you have on your plate? I mean, why don't you expand on that a little bit? Your uh, experience with the radio station, man. So, well, yeah, it's it's you know the the past year. Uh, I'm I'm just passing my first year anniversary of being a um, you know I guess what you would call it a full time host. I, I'm not a not paid full time to be a host, um, but it's the first time that I've had my own show. Um, so this is my first year on that. I started at GR about three and a half years ago, four years ago now, I think. I uh, started there about four years ago as an intern, kind of, you know, went on to be a producer. And now I, I basically only host. Um, I do some producing here and there, but I'm mostly hosting now. So um, as you mentioned, I'm with Cover One as well, Eric Turner. Um, Eric and I do a bunch of just kind of film breakdown because we, we you know, I, I don't play the game anymore. I played in college and in high school, and uh, this is the only way to get my fix because <laughs> I, uh, I do all of the Bills broadcasts at GR now. So I, uh, my season tickets uh, are no longer being renewed. I just uh, actually had to tell my uh, ticket rep today. It was actually kind of a heartbreaking conversation. Have you ever broken up with a girlfriend over the phone? Because it was a lot like that. No, I, I actually um, had a girlfriend you know. make me drive to Rhode Island so she could break up with me. I drove wow. 12 hours so that she could dump me so she could dump me in person because she didn't want to do it over the phone. I, I imagine, you know, though, that that feeling. A potential podcast. Now, this is just an idea where we talk about all the exotic ways we've been broken up with because I've got a couple doozies. Well, what I can say is that that breakup right there is what I imagine that 12 hour car ride on the way home, that feeling that you have in the pit of your stomach when you're, when you're driving home for 12 hours, just, just having your guts ripped out. I imagine that's what it feels like to give (laughs) up your bill season tickets. Well, there is a podcast, man. There's a podcast called guys. We fucked. (laughs) <laughs> I've listened to one episode because uh, Rich Voss, uh, who's a stand-up comic, was on there, and it was uh, quite amusing. They should probably have something like that for dudes, like how we've broken up or something. I'd have to think of a name. Mostly mostly sports dudes who don't get laid much like us would be like the perfect <laughs> uh, – would be like the perfect – podcast you know because we have just tons of experience hey speak for yourself chris slays somehow over here i don't understand it yeah i use tinder and bumble (laughs) so 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 nate so you work with eric turner everyone here on the show is familiar with eric turner he's he's been on here a number of times they're all familiar we plug their work early and often throughout our shows i mean the work that you guys put out over there at cover one that's fantastic so i gotta ask you what is your favorite buffalo bills related memory What's the one? Like, what's what is it? The moment that you, as a fan, you were like, "That's the one thing." If I were to ask you, what's the highlight of you being a Bills fan in your mind? What's the first thing that pops oh, into your man. head? It's so bad, but it really. It, it, I, I guess I can't really. It's not a highlight, but it's the only. It's like the burning memory in my head is the Music City Miracle, <sighs> and it's the only thing that I have from my childhood. It's like. It's like literally the only childhood memory I have. I was, I believe I, at the time, so this was 99, I think I was nine, eight years old, eight or nine years old when this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it was like the first time I saw or like really heard my dad curse, like as if something had died. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. And, and that, that's, I guess why I am as, awful and critical as i am because that's (laughs) That's why you're so bitter and jaded i've said it before on on the podcast but 
For the Music City Miracle, I was in eighth grade and I made a bet with Jeff Goodhand and I never paid him. He never paid him because he was so bitter. About <laughs> it. I was so bitter and and that was a forward pass. You could not you cannot convince me otherwise. To it's me, a, that play forward pass. That play I was I remember I was twelve, thirteen years old. I was in like fifth grade, and that was my first introduction, real introduction to the fact that the world is not fair. My father didn't swear. He didn't even, he had that quiet rage, which was even scarier than when he did yell. And he got up and he <laughs> shut the TV off and he, he walked out of the room and went down to his bedroom and shut the door. And I called his name a couple times and I didn't hear a word. So I went outside and I had a hockey stick and I just remember hitting rocks with it and just crying kind of. I was tearing up and I'm just like, it's not fair. It's not fair. And his response afterwards when we sat down at dinner, when I told him about it, his response was, welcome to life. Yeah. Life is not fair. And so that's like that became like the first lesson for me as an adult, like growing up at 13, realizing like the world can cheat you and get away with it. You know, people always want to talk smack about millennials, but I'll tell you what, if you're a millennial living in Buffalo, what you have is like essentially nothing. So (laughs) you have nothing. You have nothing to lay your head on. I mean, at least, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, a Bills or a Buffalo fan in general, I mean, the Sabres were good, you know, in the mid 2000s there, but no, it's, I mean, it's been a pretty difficult road as a fan. I know for me, um, you know, I, I was born during the, you know, four Super Bowl runs. So, mm-hmm. and you guys shortly at, there before me. So it's like, you know, how much do you really have? How many good memories? I don't have a ton. Oh, I just, see, I, really I remember don't. the comeback. I was a, I was a little kid, but I remember the comeback. I've got the comeback here at the apartment on VHS. Oh, dude, we. So, and then one of the final questions I have to ask you before we move on. So I know what your game day routine is now, knowing that you work for the radio station. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes they throw you out there on the phones. They make you take some of the calls from the lunatics here in Buffalo. Oh, they, yeah. They get hammered and call in and yell at Mike Shope when they think they have a it's point. my favorite part of the day. Yeah, they, they, I, I've done that a time or two. I've been that guy. <laughs> I'll, I'll raise my hand and say that I'm guilty. But so I guess when you're watching a game that you don't have to work, what is your routine? Is there a food and a beverage that you prefer most? Like, what's your go-to beer? What's your go-to food of choice? Well, now that I'm not on the air, I can I can I can plug some of my favorite uh, branded drinks. <laughs> uh, one being, uh, I'm a big Labatt Blue Light guy. It's really all I drink. Um, I'm Irish, but uh, I strictly drink that beer. Um, and food wise, you know, I, uh, there's nothing that I think really cures a hangover better than a, uh, a number one combo over at, uh, now I can't think of the, uh, the bars and O'Neill's O'Neill's bar right across oh, the yeah. street. Oh, I live yeah. right down the street basically. And I get the number one combo and it's, um, you know, five hot wings with, uh, beef on whack and fries. Ooh, so that's uh, an extra, extra horseradish. Fantastic. Extra, I want one of those right now. Extra horseradish. So we're going to we move on we here. We should have went there and podcasted. Right? We, 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 we need to find a bar to podcast from, Chris. Put that on the off-season to-do list. we got to find a bar. All right. Good times in Depew. So that wraps up this segment, you know, getting to know Nate Geary. And we're going to move ahead, as we always do, directly into the Bills News Update. The biggest story. The biggest story since we did our last show, Tyrod Taylor retained by the Buffalo Bills. 
I mean, it's been the biggest story of our offseason, and it's finally been resolved in what is kind of an anticlimactic fashion. You know, I expected more fireworks. Tyrod Taylor is our quarterback for at least the 2017 and probably 2018 season. So there's just a couple things I have to look at when it comes to Tyrod Taylor sticking with the team. And first off, the cap ramifications. That's the first thing I wanted to know when I heard that he had restructured his deal is what would it do? Clearly, he wasn't just giving up money. You know, there, there, there had to be something in it for him or else he wouldn't do it. He would just either take it or, you know, force us to sign it or force his way into free agency. I mean, at the end of the day, what Tyrod did was he traded a long-term deal here for another bridge deal that essentially saves the Bills valuable cap space this year in 2017 and gets him a little more guaranteed money and then gives him another crack at free agency while he's still in his prime. I mean, now, Nate, I know that you are not the biggest Tyrod fan in the entire world. What do you think about all this? Um, I mean, like I, I mean, I said right when I saw the contract is, and that's what I waited for. I mean, I waited for the contract to really have an opinion on it. Um, I mean, the guy is the lowest paid veteran starting quarterback in the league. It's hard for me to have a problem with that, um, knowing what you're getting from Tyrod Taylor. He's better to me than the lowest paid starting veteran in the league. Um, and, and I mean, so that, that's a great job by the Bills front office to get creative in that aspect um, and essentially make this a one-year deal. I mean, it, it, in theory, it's a five-year deal, um, but I mean, really, it's, it's incremental. It's, it, you know, it's really kind of going by year-to-year basis. Um, and if he doesn't perform to the standards that I think they need him to perform and they're not a playoff team, um, they can get, basically get off with just paying a $1 million uh, base salary for next season and I think it's a five million dollar dead cap hit so you know it, it works out well for them they they did it they cre- did it creatively enough where it, it gave them some flexibility in the future um, you know I, I really can't be too mad at it as much as I, I wanted them to kind of indicate a different direction that they were going to go um, but I'm certainly not upset that they got the price tag for the player I mean I'd rather be paying him um, you know, whatever it is, nine and a half million this year, then I'd think I'd rather be paying Jay Cutler or, you know, one of these journeymen. I'm certainly not paying 10 million Mike Lennon. So, well, and that, and that brings me to my next question. I mean, you're talking Tyrod Taylor against the, the field when it comes to free agency, when the new, you know, the, when this free agency period started, you know, there was a lot of talk coming out of Indies. There's some crazy shit got thrown around. I mean, you're talking about some report. Ian Rappaport's talking about how there's a huge divide between the coaching staff and the general manager, and no one's on the same page in the Bills' front office. And then one week, it's the Bills are going to cut Tyrod. And then the next week, it's, oh, they're leaning towards keeping him. No one actually knew what the hell was going on. So the only thing I was looking at was, is Tyrod better or worse than everyone else who I could possibly land out there? It was made clear by the media that there was going to be interest in Tyrod. I mean, the CEO of FUBU himself last week on Mike and Mike. <laughs> I, oh, I don't even remember that guy's name. No one remembers his name. This guy showed up on Mike and Mike wearing nothing but sweatpants and a hoodie. And a hat. And was talking about Tyrod Taylor. And he indicated that there was other teams that were interested in Tyrod. And that that was going to force the Bills to take another look at him. And Tyrod himself all did all but confirm that during his press conference. Me and Coach McDermott have definitely had uh, an open line of communication, um, and I think that's definitely something that helped this process move along smoothly. Uh, it was a few teams that reached out, but not too much that I can say to them because I'm uh, under contract, technically. 
That audio comes to you from buffalobills.com. So under contract technically, (laughs) that's the fancy way of saying that his agent was talking to some people and some people who know some people talked to some other people. Legal tampering? At at the end of the day, you had to know other teams would have been out there. I mean, Nate, is there another quarterback? I mean, you were just alluding to it. There's really nobody out there that you would have taken over, Tyrod. Yeah, not really. And and ultimately, guys, what I think happened here is, you know, this is a situation where I think the Bills won. I think Tyrod played the game the Bills wanted him to play. And sometimes I would say almost <coughs> all the time this game never really works out for the Bills in their favor, but it did this time. Um, I mean, you can kind of point back to like the Jairus Bird situation just a few years ago. Um, you know, where they're staring blank down the barrel and, you know, it's who's going to flinch first. And typically it's the Bills. Um, but they didn't this time and they got him back on their terms when it appeared that Tyrod had all the leverage. When indeed, I think when what happened was is Tyrod saw the other options that he had um, and, and maybe the scheme fits and, and maybe the best chance for him to succeed. He, he think he realized was here with his with a former offensive coordinator. He knows the system that's coming in. Um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of reasons for Tyrod to take less money, which he did. I mean, ultimately, he took a $10 million pay cut to return to Buffalo. And, I mean, that really has to go to a credit to Doug Whaley and Sean McDermott. Uh, but as far as other quarterbacks go, no, not really. There, there really wasn't anybody I was really willing to kick the tires on. I mean, I'd still, I, if they could figure out a way to get Kirk Cousins out of Washington, that's always something that I'd, I'd been really um, a proponent of. I, I think Kirk Cousins is a franchise quarterback. I think it's one of those things where – um, you got a guy like, and, and this is another thing. This is a theory that I have too, guys, and I'll, I'll let you ponder on it. Is uh, is is in 2018 next next off season, um, you're going to see maybe the best free agent quarterback to hit the market ever in Matt Stafford. Um, he becomes a free agent. He's likely going to be the highest paid player in NFL history. Would be my guess next year. Um, maybe the Bills are gearing up to make a run at him. Uh, that could be, you know, maybe they're going to throw some big money around free. They're going to have 60, 70 million in free in in uh, cap space next year. Um, so that's always an option as well. All I want, all I want for a quarterback is one that's got a strong arm. Because when you get November yep. and December, and that wind starts whipping and op. See, see, I'm so sick of <clears throat> I'm sick of hearing that. We've tried strong arm quarterbacks. We've tried noodle arm quarterbacks who were accurate in the intermediate range. What I need is a complete quarterback. Yeah. I, I, and and we haven't had one since number twelve retired. I, and that's the end of the story. Now, as far as Tyrod, I'll say this. I've, I was very critical of Tyrod down the stretch last season. I mean, we did a, we did a Facebook Live video that got over 2,000 views from the stands of the Bills game where I basically said that the, the first half of that Dolphins game on Christmas Eve proved oh, yeah. that he was not our quarterback. And you know what he did? Was he came back <laughs> in the second half and he made me just suck it. He made me yeah. suck it, and I was pissed about it. crow. <laughs> I had to eat crow with both hands. So ultimately, I looked at it, and I said, okay, well, how often do I get that guy, though? That's the question. Right. Is, is, is he finally turning a corner, or is he just showing a flash, and then he'll go back to being who he is? Because who he is is the guy who only has two career wins when his team goes behind at any point by more than four points. Yeah. I mean, that's – you. I mean, I mean, you think about the Aaron, the guys who win Super Bowls, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Ah, you can't compare anyone to Tom Brady. And right. Aaron, those guys are Hall of Famers. But let's take a step back and look at the lower echelon quarterbacks. You know, the guys who aren't. Kirk Cousins. Guys like Kirk Cousins. Guys like Derek Carr. Guys who are competitive. 
and they show up. They've they've shown that they can lead their teams back from deficits. That's what you need in order to be a winning franchise. And unfortunately, Tyrod has not shown that ability to this point in his career. So when I heard that we were retaining him, I was a little disappointed. You know, I I look at I know everyone hates Jay Cutler. I look at the fact that Jay Cutler rode a a decent defense and a pretty well-performing offense to the NFC title game against the Packers the year they won it. So maybe Cutler isn't as bad as everyone gives him a rap to be. I don't want to. I'm not going to. I mean, it, what's done is done. Tyrod's our quarterback. I know. I said Cutler. Eh, Romo was too brittle. He was never going to make it. That was never. That was a non-starter from the beginning. I think that ultimately, in my eyes, Tyrod Taylor is the guy. He was the best available. He was the best that we could reasonably obtain. And I think that if you were to get rid of him, you know, it was speculated early on that we could go to Cardale Jones. I think that there's no way you sell that to season ticket holders. There's no way you sell that to the veteran players on your roster. You can't sell that to free agents. I mean, does, do, do, what happens in free agency if we let Tyrod Taylor go and tell everyone, hey, we're going we're gonna to start Cardale Jones. Don't worry. It'll be good. It's, it's such an interesting point because <laughs> you really can go so many ways on this. And, and you're right. Uh, I, I felt the same way. Uh, I felt disappointed. I thought for sure that they were going to decide to move on and, and figure this out one way or another, but they were going to go a different direction. He, he was good, but not good enough. And, and you, you said something there that, that really resonates, and it's the fact that some of these quarterbacks can win games by themselves. You need a quarterback. These great teams have a quarterback that win them the close game. And you look back, especially these past two or three seasons with the Bills, they're 8-8, eight and eight, they're 7-9, and nine, they're 9-7. and seven. And, and the thing that you look at are these close games that they're in, these one-possession games, these single, you know, one-score deficit games that these that it seems like they lose every year. What you need a quarterback is, I mean, you can add two or three more wins to that 8-8 eight, eight eight season, and what are we talking about? We're talking about a wild-card spot, and you're in the playoffs. So it, it really does come down to not only being able to bring your team back, which is what you want your quarterback to do, but I think ultimately you need a quarterback that can just win you that game that you need to be won. And, and so far, Taylor has proven in two seasons he hasn't been able to do it. But I'm willing to, at $9.5 million, I'm willing to give him a third opportunity. So his cap number is low. You know, he's not going to cost us a ton coming into this season. What effect does his presence still being on this roster and this, I mean, knowing that it's a bridge contract, you know, it's, it's set to keep him here through at most 2018, unless he shows some vast progression. What effect does that have on the 2017 draft philosophy for the Buffalo Bills? I know I've seen a lot of mock drafts that have a quarterback, you know, usually Deshaun Watson or Deshaun Kaiser pegged for Buffalo. I'll be honest, I don't know that I like either one of those prospects. Not if I'm comparing them to what's going to be available in 2018. So I guess does having Tyrod on the on the roster for at least this season mean that we can kick the can one more year down the road to a good quarterback draft when it comes to finding that guy? Or is the should the philosophy be Let's draft a guy this year, let him sit for one year, see if he can compete with Tyrod and beat him out for the job. And if he can't, give him one more year of seasoning. I, I hear what you're saying, and, and 
it really is the problem is is i just don't know where how close this organization thinks they are i mean i mean i i don't think that they're as close as they think they are and and i I think that ultimately that is kind of going into their decision making right now is they have a uh, they have an idea of where they are, and I don't necessarily think it's right, but it, it's it's where they think they are. And Tyrod's the guy that's going to get you there right now. But you're right. I, I don't know that I love any of the quarterback prospects in the draft. However, um, I think that they owe it to the they owe it to somebody to take a damn quarterback in this draft um, and start making a conceited effort to really find a guy. And 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 Cardell. I'm not the jury's not out on him yet he's he's one year and he's started he hasn't even started the game yet um but you're not going to really get to see him this year so do they take a guy later in the third round fourth round I I mean I'm still I still think that they need to be able to trade back in this first round there's just too many holes to fill in a really deep draft um they need to trade back if they could trade back twice uh I would be happy if they could trade back twice but they I, I think the the whole idea of what the Browns are doing right now and, and having so many picks um, is picks is really turning into the currency of the league. And I, and I think that's really what's going to keep going towards. So the bills need to start collecting those. Um, they're the Bitcoin of the Internet, so to speak. So it, it's one of those things where the more you get, the better. And, and I think that's what the mindset has to be. Fantastic. I, I'm, I'm glad to see that we, we can have a conversation about this. I mean, you get this stuff. It's, it's nice being able to talk to somebody who can really kind of put this all together. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what Tyrod does and what direction the team takes in the draft. But in the next bit of Bill's news, Stephon Gilmore's now a friggin' Patriot. Yeah. What the fuck is that? It's not only that, but he named his fucking daughter Giselle. Oh, oh. Get, get, Gross. Dude, I'm sorry, but it, it, why don't you just get down on both knees? I, so I was going to say, why don't you get up off them? <laughs> I mean, that, that's ridiculous. I think for, with all of their moves that they've made, especially given Gilmore all of this money, I think it kind of makes it seem like when Brady goes out, Belichick is going out. So with all the cap room that they have, I don't even know how much it is, but I think they're just – Belichick wants to just unload – to get as much talent as he can while he still has Tom Brady to get another Super Bowl or two. Well, why not? That should be every coach's want. Every coach should want to win as many Super Bowls as they can while they still have the ability to do it. He realizes probably that he has a window. Now, here's the thing about this whole Stephon Gilmore thing, though, that really, like, it's interesting to me. You have Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler made a game-saving interception in the Super Bowl for you two years ago. He's been one of the better corners in football since that point going forward. He comes into this season knowing that he's going to be up for a new contract. He doesn't hold out. He does the right thing. He shows up and he plays and gets his team to a Super Bowl victory, being a good cornerback. They go into the offseason, and the team basically brings in an outsider, someone who, according to Pro Football Focus, graded out about 14 points worse than Butler and gives him a monster contract and then tries to shop Malcolm Butler. I mean, as a player, that has to be a slap in the face. I mean, I've talked to a few of these guys. They all have pride. I mean, they understand that the NFL is a business, but they all have pride. I mean, what is that to you? I mean, if you were Mel- in Malcolm Butler's shoes, what would be going through your head? 
I, I don't know. Uh, and and you're right. It, it's such a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league that it's just not Patriot-like to do that, especially on a guy that, I, I mean, if every Bills fan for the past five years has seen enough of Stephon Gilmore, I mean, he's seen him 10 times in those five years, and for him to decide that, I'm sorry, Malcolm Butler is the kind of cornerback that's going to cover the, your best receiver, the other team's best receiver, the A.J. Greens, the Julio Jones. He's going to guard them every single play. He's going to shadow them. He's not going to stay on one side of the field. Stephon Gilmore hasn't left the left side of the football field his entire career in, 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 in Buffalo. I, I'm just wondering what makes Bill Belichick think that he's going to be that this corner all of a sudden. He's going to be this physical guy at the line of scrimmage. He's going to get his nose dirty. He's going to stay healthy for 16 games. I, I just He's given me no indication that he's a $14 million a year corner. And Bill Belichick, of all people, is going to go out and make him his highest paid defensive player uh, ever. He, he, he guaranteed Stephon Gilmore $40 million. That's $12 million more than the next person that he's ever paid on that defense it's just it's it's crazy to me i don't begrudge the guy for getting paid but i'm really hoping this one blows up in billy boy's face (laughs) i can't wait to see sammy watkins i can't wait to see sammy watkins on gilmore i can't wait to see that because i saw it in training camp and it wasn't even close (laughs) it's it's one of those things where you you look and you're like oh man i can't wait for that sammy watkins to find gilmore matchup that's that one I, i just think you're just chopping at the bit for that one. <laughs> I'm so fired up about this. And so you, we're, we're talking about free agency, and that's a nice segue right into our next segment. Free agency frenzy, folks. The Buffalo Bills, for you know, if you would ask me, I would have I would never would have dreamed that they would have been this busy early on in the free agency period. I really didn't think they'd be getting involved until at least the second wave. You know, where we are now today, where some of your, you know, secondary and tertiary free agent targets are targets are finally getting visits, getting signed, things of that nature. I didn't think it was going to happen. We're going to start off by just talking over some of the noteworthy releases from the Buffalo Bills. Jimmy, release the skunks. Okay, I got it. I got it. I'm on it. Oh, oh, skunks. <laughs> if that's where we're starting off, I want to kick it off with Dan Carpenter. Oh, okay. good. That's where I was hoping we start. Cap savings of $2.4 million for letting Dan Carpenter go. I mean, fans have been calling for his head for about 10 months, and Doug, Doug Whaley finally dropped the axe. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike the guy, but he regressed badly last season. And, I mean, he's just showing that, I mean, at that point, it's a kicker's time to go. Am I right or am I wrong? You're right. You're totally right. And, I mean, he struggled in the one area where he, he cost them games, maybe not with the specific points that he wasn't able to convert on, maybe an extra point, but it's the idea that they had a play behind, that they were always playing behind the idea that they could miss an extra point and just too many times last season. It's it, Everybody else, nobody struggled like Dan Carpenter did last year with extra points. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to see him go. Next up on the plate is Nikel Roby Coleman. Now, I, I hate calling him Roby Coleman, so from here on out, I'm just referring to him as Roby. Yeah, you can do that. Cap savings of $1.65 million. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Roby was a good player for the Bills, and in the right system, he could go to another team and perform well. I think that this move was all about scheme fit. 
I mean, a few weeks ago, we had Eric Turner from CoverOne.net on this show to talk about what the defensive scheme under Sean McDermott would, was probably going to look like. And my assumption is that after watching Roby's tape, they saw the Monday night football game where he got abused by Jimmy Graham. They were like, okay, he can't take on size. He just can't do it. For all of his speed and all of his shiftiness, he can't man up with size. So in a zone-based defense, the, the way he likes to run it, I mean, he's just, him being out there is a liability. You know, they're probably looking at the fact that, hey, we have a guy here in Kevon Seymour who can do that job, and he's bigger, and he can be more physical with some of these larger receiving targets. I, I, I mean, I know Roby will find another team. I wish him the best of luck, but I think that this is another smart move by our franchise. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree, too. And with Micah Hyde, what you're going to see with him, too, is him playing a lot of the, that nickel corner role as well, which, I mean, we're, we're, we'll get into this at least a little bit later when we talk about some guys we'd like to see the Bills still target. I still really think the ideal target for this defense, too, would be to add Jairus Bird because then you really have three safeties that you can kind of rotate in and out and use Hyde in that in that role that Nikhil Roby Coleman held. But you're right. Coleman, just at this point, it, it appeared that you could see his weaknesses and teams were exploiting that. Um, and it's his size. And unfortunately, in the NFL and in life, you can't teach size. It's the one thing um, that you always hear coaches say is you can always teach hustle. You can always teach other stuff, but you can't teach size. So that that's really what ended up hurting him. Here comes one of the most confusing releases to me personally. Aaron Williams. Now, to me, this move is all about the Buffalo Bills protecting themselves. I mean, Williams has indicated that he doesn't want to retire. He's not ready to hang it up, but the Bills know that he's one more hit like the cheap shot Landry put on him away from on, you know, whether he likes it or not retirement. <laughs> you know, he, he might get yeah. put out for good and that would leave them holding the bag on a six million dollar cap hit if they had kept him around. So it's not personal, it's business. And there's still an opportunity, I think. I do believe that he could still return to this team in time for off-season workouts at a smaller kind of a veteran minimum contract, just, you know, get maybe $2 million guaranteed for injury only. And from there, they kind of work their way through the details, incentivized based on playing time, if he really feels like he can play and he wants to be here in Buffalo. The thing that's confusing to me is the cap savings. We could have made him a post-June 1st cut and saved $4.2 million off the cap. Instead... We only took 1.7. We only we, we declared it an immediate cut and saved 1.7 million. Why would they do did that? Did they? Did they? I, I thought that they designated him for June first. Did they I, not? I didn't see anywhere. I have I have been scouring been, the internet trying to figure it out whether or not he's been de- because that designation is a huge swing. You know, in in 2007 in 2017 cap room. And so far, everything that I've read says that he was released immediately. There was no post-June 1st designation given to it. I mean, unless it comes out later and I look like a horse's ass, I'm looking at 1.7 instead of 4.2. I get it. Um, and, and here's my thing with Aaron Williams is now you're two years in a row where you haven't had your one of your best defensive players and injuries have compromised his ability to stay on the field and be a productive player, the one that we you know ultimately expect him to be. Um, and as much as I do like Aaron Williams as not only a player, but a guy in the community, um, Micah Hyde is essentially the guy they're, they're swiping out those contracts. Um, I mean, you could put one in for the other. They're ultimately going to make 
Hyde's going to make about the same amount of money that Aaron Williams had had been making at the same time. And and I think right now they're it's a little bit about a scheme fit, I think. And I think ultimately it's just a little bit about you're right. I think they're covering their own ass, which is smart. I mean, this is an organization that doesn't make necessarily the best decisions for their organization long term. And I think this is a good one for them and for Aaron Williams. I, I'd really hope that he kind of walks away and, uh, and and continues his quest to get healthy instead of uh, trying to get back on the field. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can't, again, that's another guy. He's got the passion. He wants to play, but is it smart for him to try to do it? Right. Don't know. I mean, look at, look at DeMarcus Ware, you know, because he, he was getting 9, 10, 11. Or I think somebody said that the Dallas Cowboys offered him $10 million a year to come back, and he said no. So hey, sometimes you got to put health before money. Know. Right. And that brings me to the last release, and it's probably the biggest to us personally here at the Rockpile Report even though the rest of you probably don't give a shit. Garrison Sanborn being released a cap savings of $950,000. See you later. While cutting (laughs) a long snapper doesn't seem like that big of a deal, it is to us. Reed Ferguson, friend of the Rockpile Report, occasional roommate of Chris Kruger here, and Bill's practice squad long snapper for all of 2016. Only one in the NFL long snapper on a practice squad. Reed Ferguson. Reed Ferguson is now the only long snapper signed to the active roster. I think you can you can count it. I think he's going to be the guy. Da- D- Danny Crossman was retained as the special teams coordinator, and the decision was made at that point in the offseason to bring Reed back on a two-year deal. Sanborn getting cut would seem to just give Reed the inside track, on ma- even if they bring in competition. In training camp, I have to believe that a guy who's hung out with an NFL team for most of a year kind of would have a leg up on an undrafted rookie who doesn't know anything about blocking. I mean, for those of you who've been following our show, you've heard Reed talk about how different it is learning the long snap at the collegiate level and then trying to come up to the NFL where all of a sudden you have to block. You can't just come uncovered and run downfield and try to make plays. You actually have to man up against some of these D tackles, DNs, linebackers. It's a whole new ball game. But I think that you know, suffice to say, we here at the Rock Power Report are all pulling for Reed Ferguson. Now I got to switch gears here. Notable acquisitions. Since we're talking about free agency, what about the guys that the Buffalo Bills have brought in here? You are my possession. <laughs> and we're gonna start. <laughs> we're gonna start with the. Fr- You've been saying his name over and over again. Uh, Micah Hyde, defensive back, contract value five years, thirty million dollars, fourteen fourteen million guaranteed. Nate, I gotta ask you, what is your grade on this signing? If you could assign it a letter grade. Well, first of all, the Kenny Powers, uh, Eastbound and Down, uh, Ashley Schaefer uh, <laughs> reference right there was absolutely terrific. I wanted to point that out. You are my possession. And uh, secondly, the signing of Micah Hyde is, uh, to me, it's it's a damn near perfect one. I'm going to give it an A. I won't give it an A plus because uh, I can't give them uh, I can't give them a perfect grade. But um, for the value they're getting at uh, right around, I think six. I think I think it's either six point seven. I think this year, mm-hmm. and the highest he's on the cap for, I think, is in 2019, and it's like eight point something. Um, I mean, a value guy, you didn't overpay for him. He wanted to come here. He's versatile. If you told me that you were signing this guy instead of re-signing Stephon Gilmore, I'm all in. So uh, I really like to pick up a lot. I give him an F in a tire. 
His tie game at the press conference was garbage. <laughs> I did not like that knot. Let's just hope he's got – listen, hopefully Tyrod can get a hold of him and give him some, uh, some you know, some pregame attire advice. Otherwise, uh, the guy in the field, dude, I mean, he, what I like most about him is that he can play just about every defensive backfield position you're going to ask him to play. He's going to be a defensive leader for you. Um, and and ultimately, he's one of the top defensive free agency free agents in this you know free agent pool. And he, he wanted to come to Buffalo, so well, I'm all in. Well, I'll tell you now. Now here's here's my take. I give it a B plus. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm not as high as you are. For those of you who follow us on Twitter, you you know that Micah Hyde appeared on the. I tweeted it out. Drew's cheapskate free agent shopping list. And there's a good reason for it. You touched on it. The versatility. Free safety, strong safety, cornerback. He can play almost any defensive back position and play it well. His contract isn't exactly cheap, but because of the value he brings to your team, the fact that we got him at the contract we did, I, I mean, he's, he's a steal. He was a former captain for the Packers. He's durable. He's only missed one game since 2013. And he's versatile... Just anywhere you want him. He plays well in the box. He blitzes well. He also plays well in his zone, which is huge in a Sean McDermott defense. He's worth every penny of what we're currently paying him, I think. I mean, I haven't gotten to see him translate into this defense, but I think it's a I think that's a solid free agent signing. Especially when you consider that he's only twenty six years old and still has some of the best years of his career ahead of him. Yeah. Next up on the plate is Patrick DeMarco, fullback. Contract value, four years, eight and a half million, four million guaranteed. What's your grade on that? Meh. <laughs> you could be just a man. I'll, I'll tell you, I give it I'll, I give it a I give it like a B minus, and I'll tell okay. you why. When I Googled Patrick DeMarco to find out who the fuck he was, I'm like, what <laughs> what? We signed and I just saw the picture, I'm like, we signed a short white guy. What what position could he possibly be playing? It's not quarterback. So I looked at it. Everything I read that was posted by you know either Falcons blogs or you know you know just around the you know Bleacher Report thing, everyone said that the Falcons are going to miss this guy. He was a by all accounts he's a great run blocker, but he catches very well out of the backfield. Now we signed Jerome Felton to be you know formerly lead blocker for Adrian Peterson. During one of his best seasons of his career, Felton wasn't a bad tight end. A tight end, Jesus Christ, fullback. But the thing that DeMarco brings to the table that Felton couldn't give us is the fact that he is a very reliable catcher out of the backfield. He can be a viable target in the passing game. And in a in an offense like ours, where there's a lot of stretch plays, there's a lot of motion to kind of spread a defense horizontally and then try to find creases to beat it. If you can throw in a guy like LaShawn McCoy and then throw in a a reliable receiving target as a fullback and then throw in one or two receivers over the top, that makes for a dangerous combination of weapons. And I think that DeMarco is going to be worth every penny we paid for him. To be honest, I I like Tolbert more um, as the signing. I mean, not not that I think they're going to play a similar position. Tolbert's not going to play fullback, really. Um, but I think he's going to make for an interesting role on this team, really just, I mean, and, and you're talking about new coach Sean McDermott. I mean, what's maybe a better guy to really kind of enforce, maybe not enforce, but just 
reinforce um, that message that's going to be going across to the new guys and, and, and well, not the new guys, but just the guys who are going to be dealing with the new coach. So, no, I, I like both the signings at the fullback position. Um, I think they're going to play different roles. So uh, for people to freak out about the two fullbacks, oh, I understand. Jesus. But, uh, I got, I do, different roles. My phone exploded. The power was off in my office. Okay, it was the day of the giant windstorm that knocked okay. everything Damn. out everywhere. I'm in my office in the dark. The only light in my office is the light on my phone to tell me that I have voicemails <laughs> just piling up because the phone still worked. Nothing else did. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm Googling things, trying to figure out what's going on with free agency. And all I see is, and I'm, I'm just getting text message after text message about Mike Tolbert. Two fullbacks. Oh, what a bunch of jackasses. At the end of the day, like you said, they're going to play very different roles. Tolbert is a very good short yard specialist and also a good special teamer. Yep. And that's something that this team really needs. I mean, last year we, I think it was uh, football. Was it Football Outsiders or Pro Football Focus? Whichever one it was, rated the Buffalo Bills 22nd in the league in overall special teams. And that is solely some on of, that. Well, is, some of that was weighted by the missed, the missed kicks. No. All of that was weighted on the 65-yard onside kick against the Jets. <laughs> the play that will live in infamy. The fact that no oh one knew they God. had to touch the friggin' ball. So... And, uh, but so we needed more guys who could be versatile, who can play multiple roles for our team, and who can contribute on special teams. I mean, you're losing. You're talking about losing a guy like Marcus Easley. He's not easily replaced, and you saw that last season. With him not playing, our special teams was not good. Our punt coverage units suffered a lot. I think that a guy like Mike Tolbert, who's good at that, he's going to sign a $1 million vet minimum contract. It's a no-brainer. He likes yep. the coach. He likes the system. He's in as this veteran presence that you're going to bring in and try to instill your message. Then the next guy up on the docket here, Steven Hauschka. Okay? Contract value, kicker. Contract value, four years, $12.4 million. I give it a B-. minus. I mean, are you, are you pumped about the Hauschka signing? I think he's probably the best Bills kicker that they've – had in a long time um i don't really i i know when when carpenter had come over his first season he played really well but i mean if you remember the reason he got cut in miami was the same reason that he just got cut in buffalo um i i I like hauschka a lot i think a lot of his uh missed extra points last year i think i think all but one came on a block um and and two two came in a game Mm. that Somebody jumped over the center to block the kick. So those numbers were to me were a little skewed. But I like Hauschkalad. He's a guy that's going to handle the kickoff and the extra in the extra points and field goals. So that's right off the bat. He's he's better for for me than Carpenter was. Well, as pointed out by a friend of the show, Reed Ferguson, who knows everything there is to know about his position around the league, <laughs> Seattle was the only team to carry a rookie long snapper last season. Hmm. And that, and according to Reed, he wasn't. He didn't think he was that good, and it showed. If if they were coming down the pipe for those blocks in Seattle, you know, then it's got to be on the long snapper. I think it was. Wasn't it against Arizona in the game that they tied? Mm-hmm. That they had two of them blocked, and yep. both times somebody jumped over the center. I'm pretty yep. sure it was that game. Yeah. Yep. So I have three things I think about Hauschka. First off, he's not a spring chicken. I mean, he's 31 years old right now. Now, I know kickers last longer in this league, but I would have preferred Zerline, Greg Zerline, formerly of the Rams. The only reason is because he's got a monster leg and he's only 26 years old. 
Now, I'd prefer youth over someone who's older. But you're talking about a guy who, had, over the last two seasons, Hauschka's made 91.9% of his field goals. That's pretty impressive. I'll take that. And then I guess the only thing I could throw in there is that his headshot, if you go to Roto World or Spotrack.com, Hauschka's headshot makes him look like E from Entourage. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, you know what? That's a face I can trust. All right, Hauschka. I like that. That's you. a face I can get with. That's a face yeah. I can get with. And the <laughs> last notable free agent signing that I'm, I'm, we're going to talk about tonight, Jordan Poyer. Now, he's a, he's, a, he's a special teamer, strong safety. He has a contract value that's four years, 13 million, and six million guaranteed. I give it a grade of a B. But also possibly a C, and I'll explain in a second. How do you how do you look at the Poyer signing? I like it as a B. Um, I think Poyer is going to really kind of be penciled in as that strong starting and starting um, right now free safety with the idea that he can play a lot of box. Um, I I don't. Chris can play a lot of box too. I, he's a box guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man anyways uh yeah poyer box guy we'll call him poyer the box guy from now on and uh b's good for me i think he's going to be a starter ultimately i think that's why they brought him on so i think it'll end up being a value um because i mean you look around the league for for pretty decent i i think he's better than what he's shown i also think he played in a really bad defense uh, the past few years um i like his fit i think he's going to be a starter i mean Okay, Okay. and you know what? That's fair. My grade here, I guess, depends on what his role is going to be. Okay. He, he, was, a, he was a core special teamer when it comes to Cleveland. And with the losses that we've sustained around our roster and free agency, we need guys who can play on that side of the ball. I mean, we need bodies at this point. We need to fill out a yeah. 53-man roster. If the plan is for Poyer to be a rotational player, on the back end of the defense, and a core special teamer, you know, a standout at that position. I am all for the signing. It gets a B. But the contract price makes it seem, I mean, you look at what DJ Swearinger, he's a guy I liked. I liked him a lot. And he signed a similar deal, which makes it seem as if he's going to be a starting strong safety, which I'm not sold on. I mean, I watched a lot of tape on him. He won the job last year in Cleveland coming out of training camp. But, but that that's was in, Cleveland. That was in Cleveland. Chris could, have, Chris could have held his own in that strong safety competition. If he showed up, proved he could read English at a fifth grade level, and bought Hugh Jackson his favorite donut. I, mean, I think it's a peanut stick. <laughs> Good to know. I'm filing that away for later. We still need to fill that position with talent in the draft. And so, to me... At safety, if he's penciled in to be a starter, then I call the I call it a C. If he's a rotational player, I give it a B. I say, okay, that's a good, that's a good depth signing. I do not want Jordan Poyer to be our starter week one. I'll tell you, bringing in Jarris Bird though, I think would give them a lot of flexibility to have them all kind of playing their own roles. So I like that. And then we're gonna move on here again to re-signings and tenders placed on players already on the Bills' active roster. Now, we're going to start off with Lorenzo Alexander, or as we refer to him as the Lorax. Last week, I sent out a tweet, innocuous tweet on a Josina Anderson 
tweet on Facebook saying that you cannot, as a franchise, over afford to overpay or overextend an aging player who had a flash in the pan season. Verbatim, that is what I said. Surprisingly, Lorenzo Alexander responded to me <laughs> the next morning at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> saying, he's working out. Oh, he's dude. searching his name on Twitter and waiting to talk some shit. Dude, he, he just he tweeted at me. And he was just like, hey, he goes, you know, it's not about, he goes, it's not about money. He goes, it comes down to scheme fit. And so he and I got into a little bit of a back and forth. And I was just like, hey, man, look, I'm not trying to bag on you. You work hard. You know, you, you're, you've been a journeyman. You had a great season. You and your family deserve for you to get paid. I just can't watch my team go to cap jail because of it. His response was that I won't do that to you. I'm only looking for a two-year deal. And what happened? He's a man of his word. They found a way to get a two-year deal done here. I mean, I'm assuming he still got paid. I don't have the contract details in front of me. I still haven't been able to find him anywhere. But I'm assuming he's getting a decent chunk of change, but not enough for it to be prohibitive for the Bills to go out and spend all this other money on free agents like they just had. I mean, what do you think about Lorenzo Alexander? I, I, I think he's a good guy for the locker room. And as you mentioned, a core special teamer. Um, as well, but I do worry about the scheme fit. I'm not totally sold on him on a, on a to, to be a strong side outside linebacker in a four-three scheme. Uh, I, I liked what he was able to do as a pass rusher. I just don't think he's also in every down or really even a third down four-three defensive end or a wide nine defensive end. I just don't think he has the ability to be that. Um, but if you could get him in a role where he's on first and second down, he's playing strong side, maybe third down. You know, you have him as some sort of schematic pass rusher like a Dwight Freeney type um, then I guess I like it um, but I mean just for veteran presence alone I think it was a good signing now Mike Gillisley this is a guy that I've argued with my friends with about to no end we tendered him at the original round level which is 1.79 million and if someone signs him we get a fifth round pick now I know that Bills fans are worried about Gillisley being signed by another team but we've seen so far this offseason the running back market is particularly soft I mean, you're t- Adrian Peterson is still shopping himself. Latavius Murray is still shopping himself. Eddie Lacy at 267 pounds just signed a contract to be a depth running back with Seattle. Eddie Lacy was, a couple years ago, the, the, he was the toast of the league. Everyone loved him in fantasy football. I mean, running backs just are not valued at where they used to be because there's finally been a resurgence of running backs in the draft. It's happening. That's that's actually the good point you want to make. It's maybe not teams aren't necessarily valuing running backs like they used to. I think really when you look at it is if you could get a good starting running back in the third round, why the hell are you going to pay a guy seven or six or seven million to do it a year? No, Carlos you can Williams get a, a and good Car- guy. In the- Carlos Williams and Jay Ajayi were both drafted in the right. fifth round of their drafts. I mean, that's right. that's you're finding playmakers at running back everywhere throughout the draft at different like Ezekiel Elliott. The, the, the first round running back has finally come back. It's finally making a comeback this year. There's going to be probably two running backs taken in the first round. It's, it's making a comeback. And so with that, I think it's softening up this free agent market. I'm not worried about Mike Gillisley getting snagged by anybody. Are you? I'm not either. No, exactly. I, I think you're fine. Now, the guy that I am worried about, I've said yeah. this for weeks and it's finally happening, Ryan Groy. 
We tendered him at the original round level, but because he's an undrafted free agent, we would get zero compensation back if he were to sign a long-term deal. Now, he signed yesterday, signed a two-year deal with the Rams, or an offer sheet, and we have five days to match it. What I'll say is this. He's only making $5 million for two years on that offer sheet. Some of the best backups in football make more money than that. Ryan Groy stepped in last year for an injured Eric Wood and proved that he could, he could play well alongside the rest of the offensive line. I see no reason that the front office can't find the money somewhere to keep Ryan Groy here in Buffalo, especially when you consider Wood's age and the fact that his contract is up at the end of the season. I mean, what do you think about Ryan Groy? I like it, and I think that they should really consider matching the offer sheet Strictly based on the fact of his versatility, he can play guard, he can play center, um, and you know ultimately, I think when you look at your offensive line, you look at maybe the, some of the reasons they struggled last year was they struggled depth. Um, and once you once Eric Wood went down, Groy filled in admirably. I think that's someone that you have to I think value. I mean, if the Rams are going to come and bring him in, he's going to be a starter if he goes to L.A. Um, so I think it's clear that they need to keep him in if it's just for. Um, if he, if there are no injuries, which we hope there isn't, and he's just a swing guy and he's your extra lineman, um, he's an athletic guy. He can move around. I, I think it's a, I think it's a no brainer for the price. That brings me to Jordan Mills. You want yeah. to talk about no brainers? I don't like this guy. Yeah. He's a clown. Okay. I got, I got to watch last year in two games. I got to watch Cameron wake, basically pull his pants down around his ankles and run past him. It was embarrassing. He got embarrassed in two straight games against the Dolphins. And Cameron Wake isn't the best pass rusher in the NFL. I think he's. I think Jordan Mills is a subpar offensive tackle who does not pass protect well at all. I expected right tackle to be a position where the Bills would really work to upgrade. But they got outpriced in the free agent market, and this is a weak draft for offensive tackles. So ultimately, we may end up being stuck with Jordan Mills and Vladimir Dukas trying to fight it out over who's our starting right tackle. I'm going to keep watching, but at this point, I don't know how they're going to fix that position heading into next season. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I don't love it, but they didn't get Andre Smith, and and I think they really did want Andre Smith ultimately, but there are... King Dunlap's another guy I'd really look at, too, as is a guy that you could come in and play right tackle. He's played left tackle most of his career. I also think that your starting left tackle is on the roster, and it's not Cordy Glenn. I, I really do think that the moving – I know that you're paying Cordy Glenn a lot of money, but I think he's your best offensive lineman. I think he can move around. And right now, teams are, around the league are scheming to the right tackles of the league. Right tackles right now in this league are slow and unathletic. They're your most unathletic linemen. So now they're putting their best rushers on that side to go up against your right tackle. So why not move Cordy Glenn over to the right side and put Cyrus Quandro, a guy you spent pretty good funds on to, to draft in the second round, move him to the left side, who he's shown to be a, co- a competent left tackle in this league. Cujo so finally why- put it together last year, and I couldn't wait to rub it in everyone's face who told right. me he was shit and that Alabama sucked at producing offensive linemen. Oh, it was fantastic. No, Quanjo really that, did kind of put last year together, and I think that he played well as a as a swing tackle. I think that it comes down to mechanics, and I think that Glenn may be 
kind of just entrenched over there. And what you're saying might make sense. Maybe move him over. I just don't see the <laughs> I don't see a rookie coaching staff being willing to mess with what's worked so far. I just don't. Because if they make that move and they put Glenn at right tackle and he doesn't work, and they put Quanjo in and he regresses, now you've got two bad tackles. And it, I don't I don't know if there's any coming back from that. I agree with it. But, I mean, and you do need an offensive lineman. I think they realize it. I think they're going to address it somehow. And I would have guessed in free agency is probably the way to go. <laughs> so that brings me to what two free agent moves would you most like to see them make between now and the draft? I'd like to see Jairus Bird. I'd like to see King Dunlap. Um, I don't know that you can get both. I think if you, I think you could probably get Jairus Bird on a pretty cheap deal, to be honest. Um, another guy I'd really look at, too, as a potential ad, um, I, I think you got to look at – um, you know, I said what I said, Bird and Dunlap, but uh, oh, Mo, Mo Claiborne. Um, that that's a guy I'd like to see them at. I think they need to add a starting caliber corner and outside outside the numbers corner. Um, so that those are my guys I'd look at. Chris, what are your two free agent moves you'd like to see the Bills make between now and the draft? You're asking me, and I don't I don't know this stuff as well as you guys. Uh, I don't I don't take don't a stab. Know. Come on, shoot for it. I don't even know who's available. What do you do all day? What do you do all day when you're on the toilet? Well, I'm, I don't have usually. I don't have my phone when I'm on the toilet. What? Why not? Oh, heresy! Oh, take a dump and go back to work. This? Who doesn't poop with their phone? Oh, yeah, this is, is going to be the. This is going to become the. For all of our listeners, this is going to become the Twitter poll of the week. Follow us on Twitter at Rockbar Report to take to take our poll. <laughs> As to whether or not you should or should not take your phone to the toilet with you. Chris, you live in the Stone Age. You're a boob. <laughs> My two free agent moves. One of mine got ruined today, this afternoon, when Cordero Patterson signed with the Raiders. That's good. I'm not drinking Seagram's. I think that Cordero Patterson would have been a great fit for us because we don't have a legitimate kick returner yet on this roster. He would have helped us out massively in that department, but also he has potential in the offense if you can design plays for him, especially in a West Coast offense that's meant to go horizontal instead of vertical. I just I, I thought that that signing, especially for the money he's making, a one-year, essentially $5 million deal, would have made too much sense. So that killed one of my moves. The second move, I guess, that I'd like to see, anybody but Jarius Bird. Everybody yeah. but Jerry's bird. Screw that guy. Screw him. Screw his dad. I don't care that he's on the coaching staff. Screw him. You shunned us. You went to you, you chased the money and you went to New Orleans. You pulled the peerless price. You 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 left seeking green green pastures, and guess what? It turns out the grass isn't greener on the other side of the field. You've sucked since you left the Bills. You've sucked. So don't come crawling back here and expect us to pay you anything. You made your bed, now sleep in it. Go go play for the Browns. <laughs> I'm sure he would. I, I don't know why he wouldn't play for the Browns. Well, Gary, no, there's reasons why he wouldn't play for the Browns. But Gary, no, no, I, Gary, I, I don't know if I you can tell how like bitter it. I am. The only reason I like it is because he can be that center fielder guy. And you know what? He proved at least when he was healthy at the end of the year that he wasn't so bad. So we'll see. Oh, man. Well. We've come this far into the podcast. We've still got a ways to go because you know what we're talking about tonight, Nate? I don't know if you've some done draft. I, I don't know. We, we got to talk some draft because that's to. the thing. That's where we're going to fill the rest of these holes in our roster. 
You know, everyone keeps bitching about the Bills haven't signed a single meaningful wide receiver free agent. No shit, because they're all too expensive. You see the contracts some of these guys are signing? It's ridiculous. We, when I saw stories linking the Bills to Deshaun Jackson, and then people started tweeting them at me and texting them to me, being like, oh, hey, what do you think about this? I think I'm going to slap you if you bring this up to me again. That's my take on it. <laughs> we were never going to be able to afford those guys. And in my, in my opinion, it's part of the reason you let a guy like Stephon Gilmore walk. There's certain skill positions that you do not overpay. Okay, there's not. There's certain wide receivers in the I league. I agree with that. that. There's certain wide receivers in the NFL that deserve to get paid the money they get paid. I'll say Des Bryant is one of them. I'll say Megatron was one of them. Jerry Rice was one of them. Antonio Brown could be one of them if he keeps it up for the next two years of his deal. Ultimately, wide receivers are a skill. They're a flashy position. When they're great, they're great. But any receiver can be good in any system if he's put in the right set of circumstances. I mean, I touched, I brought his name up earlier, Peerless Price. He was a perfect example of that. A guy who flourished here in Buffalo, took that, hit the free agent market, got a big contract, and then sucked, and then came crawling back to Buffalo. When you look at what the wide receiver position is, there's a reason the Bills aren't addressing it in free agency, and it's because we can go get top-flight talent in the draft. And that brings us to this week's 2017 NFL Draft Prep Series Edition, wide receivers and tight ends. So we have to start with possibilities to go at number 10 overall. The first guy we're going to talk about is Corey Davis. Now, I don't know. I know you hang out with Eric Turner. You talk to him a lot. How much film have you watched on Corey Davis? Well, I've watched, I think, two games so far. I've really been sort of digging in on the quarterbacks. That's where I'm in the middle of my uh, mm-hmm. my my top ten quarterback rankings, and I've been watching at nauseum. I think I've watched just about every single Nathan Peterman film. So I've just got through Nate Peterman from Pittsburgh. Um, so I haven't gotten to see too many receivers, but Corey Davis is an interesting guy. Um, I, this guy's the more polished guy when you're talking about him and Mike Williams. He's he's going to run every. He's a polished route route runner. Um, can run every route in the route tree. Um, has nice hands. The only issue, and I think the question that everybody has, is does the um, level of competition going to uh, play a role at the next level in his success? And, and I think it absolutely will. It's a big transition. It's a big step from MAC football um, to the NFL. But uh, I think he's at least worth a look at number 10 for sure. Now, here's what I think about Corey Davis. I mean, through all my – I've watched seven games of his this last season. What I try to highlight when I do any of my draft prep, especially for wide receivers, because they they have tangible stats that you can follow in a box score, what I do is I target their best games and their worst games, and I go back and I rewatch those games, and I figure out okay, what did he do? What what was the what was the things that what are the things that held him back? Here's what I came away with. First off, one of the biggest pros for me about Corey Davis is that he was a He was a two-star recruit coming out of high school, but he finished as the NCAA leader in receiving yardage. He was a field general when he was out there. For all of his coaches, he would he would basically just command the team around him. He was he's just a natural leader. And when they said, "Hey, our game plan is gonna it's gonna focus seventeen passes in your way," 
Okay, good. Great. Davis was game. He liked being the focal point of the offense. He's got that size and high point catching ability. You can't beat him. He's six foot three, 210 pounds. You can press him, but he'll beat you. And he has the size to shed you down the field within five yards of the line of scrimmage. I mean, no one really stuck. He's like Teflon. When yeah. he makes his break off the line of scrimmage, he's gone. You can't, and that to me is appealing because there's a lot of teams that in the NFL that play heavy press coverage, especially on rookies, because they expect them to struggle with that. He high points the he high points the ball well, and then he has 19 touchdowns this last year. Yeah, that's that that's something. It's because in the red zone, he's unstoppable. He finds a way to get open, and he'll take contact, and he just has this laser focus. He's going to eat contact on his way to the ball, and he'll hand fight you out of the way if he has to. He's He, he has everything you want in a dynamic wide receiver. You touched on it, though. I did my research. He was MAC player of the year multiple times throughout his career. The MAC conference has produced a number of very solid NFL players, but there's not a single one who's ever played defensive back. Which tells you that his competition is not top flight. So right. he could be a very good athlete, but he's going up against subpar athletes. So you don't really know if his game trans- translates as well to the NFL. And then the other thing that popped out on his tape to me was his alligator arms. He pulls a T.O. every now and again. He has 16 drops over the last two seasons. It's, it's almost like, and you watch it on tape, it's, it's a catch that he's squaring up for with his back to the defensive player. And he'll alligator arm the pass so as not to take a hit that he thinks is coming. The fact that he has that at the NCAA level scares me for what his yeah. prospects could be at the NFL level. Because those guys will not, they won't, they'll still hit you. He's it's gonna, a good thing. He's going to get his belt run at least once or twice. For you to worry about, you know, no, I, I know what you mean. Like it's it's a good thing for you to be worried about because um, that's the kind of thing you you look for. You look for a guy who naturally catches the ball, um, and it almost looks like he's got, you know, sometimes it looks like he's got boards for fingers. Like they, like it's just not a natural feel sometimes um, when he catches the ball. Um, but you're right. I think he's one going to be one of those top guys. He's not the high point guy. That's obviously Mike Williams, but I, I, I like him a lot. I mean, I think that he's better off on inter- – and see, this is where he and Mike Williams are kind of Jekyll and Hyde. Davis is better in your intermediate and short routes because he's – because of his size, cornerbacks can't stick with him from that 10-yard range from the line of scrimmage. So if he takes a shallow dig route, gets the ball, he can break a tackle. He can get away from his man. Now, again, again, that's against you know subpar talent, but he has he's flashed that ability that he has that second gear that he can get up into as soon as he gets the ball in his hands. Now, you go on to Mike Williams. The things I like about him, size. Again, you're talking about a six foot four wide receiver who's over two hundred and ten pounds. You just He's always going to be competitive against your, even your most physical defensive backs. He's going to I mean, Marlon Humphrey, that national title game, twice. I watched, I, I've watched Clemson play Alabama, my favorite team. And Mike Williams in that game against Humphreys, against whoever he was matched up against, he was a nightmare for those guys to cover. I saw multiple times where they would roll triple coverage his way on certain plays because they were afraid it was going to Mike Williams. 
if it was second and long or third and long. It, he, he'll still hand fight with those guys, and he'll check his way down the field and try to get open, which gives me hope for his NFL career because if he can, if he can jockey with cornerbacks who are that talented, I'm sure he can handle his own at the NFL level. The big thing for me is that he's played well against premier talent. Now, I sent you a screenshot of what I put together just making notes while I was watching film. Against some of the best teams in the country, you're talking Alabama when they were a number one seed in the national title game, Ohio State as a three seed, Louisville as a three seed, and Florida State as a 12 seed. He finished the season with 26 catches for 330 yards and two touchdowns against those four teams who all finished with high rankings at the end of the season. That's not even what you should pay attention to. What you should pay attention to is how many professional defensive backs are just going to go in the first round alone that he played in in each of those matchups. I mean, Ohio State's got two. Alabama's likely got one or two. Um, you know, I don't really know about very much about Louisville, but, but uh, Louisville's, you see my Louisville's point. number one is a very good kid. He's a, he's a sleeper. But, yeah, no, that's my point. There's a lot of NFL-caliber talent on those teams, and he showed up in those games. Conversely to Corey Davis, who, you know, he made his – he made all of his, you know, he made hay against teams with guys who, unfortunately, the defensive backs from the MAC conference will never play NFL ball. So the fact that Mike Williams was able to perform like that on that stage kind of give, uh, would almost seem to give him a leg up over Corey Davis as being that pick. Now, the things I don't like about Mike Williams, just from watching his tape, he has very sloppy footwork. Now, you watch a guy like Sammy Watkins, and when he comes out of a break, I mean, you saw what he did to Darrell Revis in that second matchup, or even that first matchup, against the Jets last, uh, not last season, but the year before last. He worked Revis. Well, unlike Sammy, Mike Williams, his footwork is not that crisp. His change of direction when he goes to make breaks, it's not very clean. And one of the things that I don't like is that when it comes to an intermediate or deep route, sometimes he just kind of leans into the break instead of cutting. And that just tips off the DB as to where you're going, and it guarantees you're going to be shut down. I just I, I think he relies a lot on his size when it comes to man coverage specifically. I mean, what about you? Have yeah, you noticed I mean, anything about his game? Yeah, use that. You know what I'm saying? Like he's been able to use that size differential, that that size mismatch, really kind of over the course of his college career. He won't be able to use that as much in the NFL, but as you mentioned, I think he fits maybe a little bit better of what the Bills are looking for, um, strictly based on what the weak points of Tyra Taylor's game are. And obviously, you want a guy um, that can go up and it's got a it's got a big catch radius um, that can kind of catch the ball all over. Um, and, and that's what I think you need. And that's why I think he makes a little bit more sense on the other side. I really do um, see him and, 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 and kind of project him out to be a DeAndre Hopkins type. Um, maybe just obviously DeAndre's got outstanding route running ability, but oh, it, yeah. it's something to think about moving forward. I, I think he's going to be better than I think a lot of people give him credit for. See, I've seen him compared to Plaxico Burris. And honestly, I would take that. I okay. would take that as a number two wide receiver. You know, you can't replace Sammy with him. Because he, Sammy will torch this kid in a route running competition, but I think yeah, that. No doubt. But I think that Williams could be a nice complement to Sammy, given both of their size, their ability to high point, just their, the the fact that they can both make phenomenal catches and get open. 
I mean, I, I mean, if you look at his body of work, I think that as long as he doesn't pull a Cheddar Bob like Plaxico Burris and shoot himself in the leg, he has a long NFL career ahead of him to whatever team <laughs> drafts him. And then the other thing that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The other, the other pick that I've seen here thrown around at number 10, which I'm, I'm surprisingly going to have a beef with, O.J. Howard, tight end of, out of Alabama. I mean, what can I say about the guy? I've watched him play. He's got a giant frame for a tight end, and he's got the athletic ability to get downfield and in space. He can play well. But when I watch, I mean, you're talking about a guy who watches every single Alabama football game. He's inconsistent with his run blocking and aggressiveness. And that, to me, is it makes me afraid for a guy who's six foot six. If you're six foot six, 252 pounds, I want to see you with some mean, some nasty to you. You know what I mean? He doesn't show that yeah. consistently. And I think that he played in a system that really didn't use him a lot. So while he has all of these tools, he has the ability to be a really a real asset for an NFL team. But that's only if the team's going to incorporate him into the game plan. I mean, you look at the 2015 title game. Five catches, 208 yards, and two touchdowns against Clemson in an effort that won them a national championship. But this... Whatever team takes O.J. Howard is going to have to do so early. And I think that spending that type of capital on a tight end, you need to feed that guy. And I just don't know if O.J. Howard's that guy. I mean, look at what look at what the Lions did with Eric Ebron. That pick, they might as well have set it on fire. Just set the card on fire and throw it out. He, What has he done for their offense? I mean... Do you disagree? What do you think about O.J. Howard? Well, I, it's one of those things where this team can't use their other overpaid tight end. Um, they can't figure out a way to use him consistently. Um, so why are you going to allocate a top 10 draft pick on a position um, that you don't know how to fully utilize as exactly. an offense? Now, maybe this guy, the you know coach... The new coach that comes in can can figure out a way to, you know, create an offense between the hash marks. But right now, you don't have a quarterback that has shown he can consistently throw between the hash marks. So why are you going to go after a position in the top ten of the draft when we have significant other holes? This is the idea of, you know, drafting the best available player instead of for need. But in this position, I'd rather them go for a position in need because I don't think you're necessarily reaching <laughs> for the next best available guy. No. Uh, but OJ Howard to me is is a luxury pick. Um, it's a pick that the 76ers would make if they, if they have already had three <laughs> tight ends, they'd pick another one. It's just, it's one of those things where I don't love it, but I mean, I guess you could see it if they're going to line them up a lot on the outside and have Charles Clay kind of roll in the middle. But again, they just don't know how to use the one tight end they have, who I think is really good and underused. No, absolutely. And that's why I, I want to claw my eyes out every time someone asks me, oh, are they going to draft your boy, O.J. Howard? He's not my boy. Just because he puts on the crimson jersey doesn't make him my guy. All right? <laughs> so coming up next, we're going to talk about some wide receivers that I think fit what the Bills want to do on offense that could be available in the late first, second, and third rounds. First off, John Ross, I mean, everyone's going to bring his name up, but I, I bring him up because I don't think he's a fit. I think he's a speed receiver who gets kind of bullied when it comes to, I mean, look at the, the game that they played in the NCAA playoffs this season against Alabama. John Ross's stat line was terrible. You want to know why? Because Alabama jammed him at the line 
every single play, and he couldn't get off of it. He's got speed. He's got hands. At some point in the game, he might get open, but it's not going to happen consistently enough, I think, for you to rely on at an NFL level. I think that watching what Alabama is probably as close to an NFL defense as you're going to get last season playing in the NCAA. And John Ross disappeared during that game. And I think that on any team in college, your best players will show up on a week-to-week basis. He disappeared for his team when it mattered the most. To me, I mean, he plays fast. He's got good hands. I just don't want him. I just don't want a guy like that on my roster. The second guy is... Injury G- history, too. I think you got to bring in. Oh, yeah. he's He's been banged up. That's the other thing. He's not the most durable guy in the world, which, as I touched on earlier, durability is a huge thing for this Bills team because it's something that no one on our roster yeah. has. Which, the next guy on my list does have. Juju Smith-Schuster out of USC. I love this kid. He's got an, He's an aggressive route runner. And he's always finding ways to come open. Doesn't matter whether it's man coverage, zone coverage. I think one of my favorite things about him is that he came into college as a safety. He came into college looking to play safety, and they converted him to a wide receiver. But he plays the wide receiver position with the same level of aggressiveness that you would expect a safety to play. He doesn't get bullied or shy away from contact. He will bang with anybody. I, I love watching his tape. And they, the, like you go back and you look at that Rose Bowl where they were getting buried by Penn State and they made the comeback. His hands, he made a couple comeback catches with one hand, with one and a half hands that were just concrete. They're, that ball didn't even vibrate. It hit his hands and it sat there. He makes a lot of flash plays because he has those hands and because he has that uh, just that willingness to absorb contact and then kind of come away from it and look for the ball to make a play. And then you talk about durability. Last season, he played through a back injury, still caught 10 touchdowns in 914 yards. You can't coach that type of toughness. I mean, I think he's a guy who. Yeah, I mean, I followed him from high school. Mm hmm. And uh, he was one of those guys that I was pretty excited to see kind of coming up from when he was young. And I think it was the Under Armour All-American game I watched him in um, a few years back. He's a dynamic athlete. I think he was maybe, I don't want to say he was the top high school recruit, but he was right up there um, as one of the top in the country. I, I wouldn't mind if you could get him in the second or third round. I mean, hell, if you could get him in the third round, that'd be huge. I don't know that he'll fall there, but, um, you know, he's definitely a guy that they'll have to look at. Dave. If he was our second round pick, I would take him. He, he could be our next Robert Woods, except more dynamic in the pass catching department. That's what I look at. A tough guy who's willing to go out there and bang with cornerbacks, but he can catch and he can make bigger plays than Robert Woods was capable of making. I mean, am I wrong in that? Yeah, I, I definitely buy that. No, I definitely buy that for sure. And you're maybe not the most, not as dynamic as a blocker as Robert Woods was, but I think you're right. In, in terms of route running, Robert was really good at, at, at really kind of, especially the underneath routes. He was very precise. Um, but in terms of playmaking ability, you're right. Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is just kind of maybe a, a tier ahead of, uh, of Robert Woods in that category. Then there's a guy, Josh Reynolds, another SEC guy, Texas A&M. The things I like about Josh Reynolds He's got elite height. He's six foot three. He's a great wide receiver, but his production comes from the deep and intermediate portion of the field. 
He's dangerous in the red zone because he's got a giant catch radius and he's a really aggressive run blocker. The only thing that worries me about him and the reason why I think he could fall to that third, fourth round range is that he's got to add weight. He's only 193 pounds. So he's willing to go out there and throw his body around in the run blocking game. But his frame, he just may not support it. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's six foot three, 193 right. pounds. You're talking about a wide receiver who, if he's taking hits, he could see some injuries. And I've noticed that, we, especially when Alabama played Texas A&M, you know, we shut him down because he can be jammed at the line of scrimmage because he's got a very thin build. You know, he's just he's he, if, if you're asking him to try to catch the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage, it just doesn't seem like he can do it. It seems like most of his flash plays come. 10, 15, 20 yards downfield once he's had a, a chance to kind of shed the cornerback, which I don't think is going to happen as often at the NFL level. I think that's why he's going to fall to that second, eh, late second, early third, maybe even fourth round range if GMs don't like what they saw on tape from him. And then our Darius Stewart. Yeah. Way. Oh, wait, what were you going to say? I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, uh, no. I, I mean, my. No, no worries. No, my my thought on on Reynolds is you're you're spot on on it, um, but I think that he who he reminds me of is Justin Hunter, um, and and who could you get? I mean, you could go get Hunter and, and really kind of get the same production. Who already has NFL experience, but no, I agree with you. Reynolds is one of those guys that I think someone's going to fall in love with that height um, and his aggressiveness. But uh, yeah, you're totally right. I think the the body frame is certainly a concern. So our Darius Stewart. I got to get him out before we finish this segment up. He's my favorite receiver off of the Alabama roster. We got to talk about him. He has size, okay, and he plays with a physical edge when he's run blocking. I mean, they're, they're running off the edge was mostly because they had guys who, wide receivers who were very willing run blockers. The thing I like about Stewart is that he has quick change of direction skills once he gets the ball in his hands. And he's got really good vision once he gets out there in the open field. I mean, I don't know how many times I can count that we threw a three-yard screen pass to him. Or, you know, or a screen. Well, I guess it's not technically a screen pass, but it's a shallow pass to him. And he took it for a first down simply by just breaking the first tackle and juking his way through coverage. He's very good once he gets the ball in his hands. And that's what appeals to me in a West Coast offense. You're talking about a wide receiver who's got size, he's got weight, and he's got toughness. He finds a way to generate yards after the catch. And that's going to be huge for our offense next season. He's got decent long speed to get open farther downfield, but they used him more around the line of scrimmage because that's that seemed to fit his you know, his game. That's how he plays. I mean, if he can work on his hands, because that was the one thing I didn't like about him, is he dropped a lot of passes, and most of it was because he was trying to make a play before he actually had the ball in his hands. I think he's going to go in the late second, early third round, but he could be a steal for whoever gets him. I mean, have you watched any of his tape? What are your thoughts? I I haven't watched too much of him, no, but I, I know that you're a big Bama guy, so I'll take your word for it that, uh, I, I mean, the thing is, is you've just, I think the past few years, you haven't really seen, other than Amari Cooper, really have the kind of production um, that would warrant such a high pick on a Bama player, but I think Alabama gets such good athletes that you'd hope 
Um, and, and you look at O.J. Howard, I think a lot of his production numbers were down. I just don't think they've ever really had an elite passer. Um, I mean, even in their, their national championship run, they've never had a guy that's an elite passer. Um, and, and I think that's maybe a testament to some of how good these receivers are, that a lot of them don't get the opportunity to put the kind of numbers that they could potentially put up if they had an elite passer throwing to them. So that's something to keep in mind when you're, when you're evaluating Alabama um, skilled position players. Now that's a, that's a very good observation because you're right. We don't really try to recruit quarterbacks. I mean, we focus on defense, defensive line, and offensive line, and running backs. And that's been Nick Saban's bread and butter, and it's gotten him to how many national titles? And that's just how he operates. A couple, two, three. <laughs> a couple, two, or three. So lightning round style, we're going to go through my, Drew's sleeper picks for the draft. And, uh, Nate, if you have any other wide receivers who don't appear on this list, feel free to throw them in. These are the three prospects I'm looking at, wide receiver and tight ends as sleepers. First guy is Damari Stringfellow. The only reason I like him, he's six foot two, 212 pounds. He is going to fall in the draft. He's going to be a fifth or f- maybe even sixth round draft pick because he does not have foot speed. He doesn't get off jams well. But he is a traditional possession receiver. In a West Coast offense, if you can get him in space, his catch radius is huge. And I think that he will do very well. He played at Ole Miss. He had multiple quarterbacks over his career and proved that he can keep consistent but not spectacular production. Throw the ball at him. He'll catch it. He will not get you yards after the catch. I think that for a team in our situation, if we could score him in the fifth or sixth round, that's a steal. The other guy, Amari Darbo, he ran a 4-4-5-40, 17 bench presses at the Combine. He runs solid routes. He has a diverse route tree as a rookie, and he has extremely underrated hands. He wins contested balls on the regular. Now, the knock against Darbo and the reason why he will be there in the late second, early third round is that he hasn't learned how to use his functional strength to consistently beat jams off the line of scrimmage or run block with any sort of authority. But that can be coached. I think that his yard after the catch limitations are going to hold him back in the draft, but ultimately he could provide you second round caliber talent in the third round if that's where you choose to take him. Finally, Keith Trowbridge, tight end out of Louisville, a guy that probably no one out there has fucking heard about. Under the radar guy, the only reason he stood out to me was because he's big. And if you watch him, he loves to run block. That was my, that's my favorite thing about football is run blocking. I played offensive line. I understand the X's nose of it, and I love it. He's a, he's a Heath Miller throwback type tight end. He lost his job as a receiving target in the Louisville offense to Cole Hicatini, who I'm sure you've all seen in the different you know bowl games, some of the big primetime games last season, who was a dynamic target and who was more athletic than Trowbridge. Trowbridge. But at the NFL level, teams look at a guy like Trowbridge who he is gigantic. I mean, he's just a big man. I mean, you figure he's a less athletic uh, uh, Jason Witten is what you're talking about. Here's a guy who can contribute to any team looking for a tone setter in the running game who doesn't have a ton of draft capital to spend. I'm projecting him as a seventh round draft pick. Maybe if the draft doesn't fall his way, he's an undrafted free agent, but someone's going to luck out and get that kid on the roster. Gary, do you have any sleepers in the late round? You bet your sweet ass I do. I got a guy, well, not maybe not a late round, late round, but uh, some mid-tier second, third round guys. Connor Cup, 
um, the kid from Western Kentucky, I want to say it is, or it's one of those, you know, Western schools. Um, I heard he, he made a, a really big deal nice, at the and senior By bowl. the way, Darbaugh is another guy. I was going to say, I heard, I heard <laughs> Connor Cup made a big I, I, deal the thing, at the senior bowl. Oh, it's, I'm, and I called him Connor, but it's really Cooper. Um, but yeah, Cooper Cup from Western Kentucky. Um, and, um, Darbaugh, the kid you called, you said for Michigan too, he's another yeah. one that I, I thought had a good senior bowl as well. Um, but Zay Jones, who had the best senior bowl of them all, um, East Carolina, um, his wide receivers coach from last season is now the Buffalo Bills wide receivers coach. You could really look to see him, uh, make an impact and he's, he's your prototypical size, but he had a great senior bowl. He stuck out. Um, made a lot of good plays. And it's one of those things where maybe he's playing in a smaller program, doesn't get as much recognition, but his coach has got lots of film on him and uh, he's uh, running the Bills receiving core now. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Zay Jones. Oh, Zay Jones. All right. I, you know what? I've seen the name thrown around. Now I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board and look at Zay Jones because he didn't, I saw the senior bowl stuff. I just didn't think that he was, I thought I was looking at that as a flash in the pan, but you know what? I'll give it a second look. I will give it a second look. And you know what? Given that you're giving it your uh, <laughs> the Nate Geary approval, yeah, the the coined Nate Geary uh, prospect to watch list. Um, but another guy though too that and because I didn't give you guys a tight end, but Evan Ingram from um, Ole Miss. You mentioned another Ole Miss guy there, but Evan Ingram is a guy that I think can be more of really a, a matchup nightmare. He's he's a four five guy. Um, not only that, he's a little bit smaller. He's more of your H back type, but if you're talking about mismatches and trying to get people over the middle, that's a guy that I would have to look at for sure. Evan Ingram. (laughs) Well, we've thoroughly put everyone to sleep with all this draft talk, Nate. So we're going to go ahead and tell them to get over it. Yeah. Well, I'm 10 beers deep now, so (laughs) we're going to get out of (laughs) here. Yeah, Nate, where can we find Actually, you on Twitter? You know what? Surprisingly, it, it doesn't matter. I'm still holding my own over here. Nate, thank you so yeah, much no, for coming absolutely. out of the show with us tonight. I appreciate it. I know, you know, with the snowstorm and everything else, Nate was supposed to be in studio tonight, but, uh, you know, as in Mother in, Nature had other In typical things. Buffalo yeah. fashion, it decided to randomly dump on us out of nowhere after a couple weeks of it being, I don't know, high 30s, low 40s. The snow just shows up, but that's what it—that's what it's like living here in the Buffalo area. You deal with it. Nate, where can we find you on Twitter, and what do you got planned at Cover One in the coming weeks? You can find me on Twitter at Nate Geary, W-G-R-N-A-T-E-G-E-A-R-Y-W-G-R. And uh, for the next few weeks, I've uh, got a lot of quarterback rankings rolling out, um, so I still got a lot of film to watch there. I also have my second rounds of my – um, top 20 big board coming out, which has a ton of movement from my first big board that I put out before the combine. Um, so a lot of movement on that one for sure. Um, so I'm excited for that. Nate, thank you so much for coming onto the show with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Chris, you didn't have much to say tonight. <laughs> no, 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 please. <laughs> Unless you're talking about like my Tinder nah. dates or, or something going on with my ex-wife. <laughs> or soon he said it's grinder date. What? Oh yeah, grinder. grinder sir. <laughs> no. Or hey. my soon to be ex wife. Yeah, oh yeah, soon to be ex wife. Yes. Yeah, that that's happening soon. I'm actually getting to serve the papers. I'm pretty pumped about it, guys. We gotta get the hell nice. out of here. I'm well. I'm Drew Gear. That's Nate Geary. 
That's Chris Krueger, and this has been The Rock Pile Report.